0: For those of you who are new with us, we are working our way slowly but surely through the entire book of Proverbs. And we find ourselves in the very last chapter of the book of Proverbs. And if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31. We're in that section, as you know where we're talking about the godly wife. We're in a series of messages from Proverbs 31, which are designed to capture the various facets of the portrait of a godly wife. And thus far, we've seen some characteristics from this great section of Proverbs 31, and we're going to see some more even this morning. But before we look at those, let's read together Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 31 and excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain she does him good and not evil all the days of her life she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight She is like merchant ships, she brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Thus far, we've seen Eight of the characteristics of this portrait of a godly wife from verses 10 to 15. For those of you who have not been with us, those characteristics are she is excellently valiant. She is exceedingly valuable. She is wholeheartedly trustworthy. She is wonderfully thrifty. She is perpetually helpful. She is delightfully industrious. She is creatively domestic. And she is tirelessly serving. Eight very wonderful and godly characteristics of this virtuous woman. This morning, I want you to see three more characteristics which make up this portrait of a godly wife. This time from verses 16, 17, and 18 of Proverbs 31. And here's the first one. She is financially competitive. She is financially competitive. Look at your Bibles at verse 16. There it says about this godly wife, She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Now, I think this particular characteristic of a godly wife speaks to her financial and material contribution to the life of the home. And unfortunately, I think this particular verse has been used by some as meaning everything from the mandate of, to thrust the married woman out into the workplace all the way to some even suggesting that there's a contradiction here when it relates to a passage in the New Testament Titus 2 and everything else in between well the correct interpretation of Proverbs 31:16 simply can't be consistent with either view it just can't this verse is not talking about the idea that there is some kind of mandate some kind of command in order for someone to live out proverbs 31 16 to thrust a married woman out out of her home and into the marketplace as it were or in the 21st century parlance of our own language into the workplace in the world, so that she can eye a field and buy it. Nor, of course, does the Word of God contradict itself. And so in no sense do you have the extreme on the other side that says, well, in Titus chapter 2, it says that women ought to be workers at home. In the context there of Titus 2, verses 3-5, to yes, it is true that it says very distinctly, that a Christian woman ought to be a worker at home. It does say that. And it does appear to suggest here, in verse 16, she considers a field and buys it from her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Earnings. And someone says, well, see, there you have it. She's out in the world. She's out in the marketplace. She's out of the home. She's earning something. She she has an earning wage. So, apparently there's a contradiction. No, not really. Not necessarily. There's certainly no contradiction in the Word of God anywhere. Ever. All of the verses of our Bibles can and should be and must be harmonized together. So that we're not having contradictions that would contradict the very idea of the inerrancy of Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture, the fact that Scripture does not err. It's not inconsistent with itself. No, as we shall see, I believe that this verse actually gives us quite a beautiful harmony between Titus 2, 3-5 and Proverbs 31:16. Yes, I think a beautiful harmony, and I think we'll see this unfolding as we talk about it. And we're, ne- we're going to need to talk about this particular first characteristic that we're going to cover today longer than we are the other two, because there appears to be so much controversy surrounding it. And so what I think is going on here of what King Lemuel, the author of this section, or if it's really words from his mother, the queen mother, if they're really her ideas and she's writing this whatever the case and whatever is being described here is the sense I believe that this woman is taking some money the money that they had that they had to work with at that time, or uh, some livestock, maybe the selling of that livestock, or maybe the the material goods that would be at her disposal that she's going to be able to liquidate somehow, and to be able to have some kind of uh, liquidity uh, liquidity that she's able to take and to barter in the marketplace, so that in this trading kind of genre that they were in. She would complete some kind of financial or material transaction with someone else. That much is clear. I mean, that's that's clearly what this implies in verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. That's what it says. And for anybody to to suggest that somehow, because Titus 2 trumps Proverbs 31, 16, because it's either later revelation or because Titus 2 says she needs to be a worker at home, that somehow this has to be massaged a little bit to make it say what it apparently says so that it says something else. We don't need to do any unnecessarily, uh, unnecessary violence to this text. Not at all. It just simply says what it says. She considers a field and buys it, and from her earnings she plants a vineyard. But exactly how she does it or in what context does this woman of the ancient Near East, we would say the Middle East, in what sense does she barter with others? Is she going up against a man? Is she bartering with this man for the goods and services that she needs and that he wants or that he needs and that she wants? Well, what's going on here? Well, of course, there would have been sensibilities in the ancient Near East. There would have been... Uh, conversations that were not, could not take place between men and women in some context and in some ways. And we need to be very sensitive about that, and we need to understand what those are. But in one sense, even if we didn't understand the history behind a verse like this, we would understand that it's directly saying and making clear to us by the very word that's used in verse 16 that she considers a field. Do you see it there? She considers a field a field. In other words, she is intent on taking whatever it is that she has to sell, uh, maybe as a result of her working with delight with her hands. Do you see that in verse 13? It says she works in delight with her hands. And then look down at verse 24. It says she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. So obviously there's some level of interaction, right? She, she's making some kind of uh, material and she's selling it later on and there's some kind of give and take here. There's some level of dialogue. Uh, maybe she's doing it through a representative, maybe a male representative or whatever the case may be. The fact is that she is considering a field. That means that she's very carefully and strategically buying a field with it, presumably so that she can reap a material harvest from her purchase. And this is a good word, consider. She considers a field. And that's why I say that she is financially competitive. She's looking for the best prices. And that's no different than what you would do today in our 21st century context. You go to a store and you want to have the best prices. This industrious woman wants to do everything that she can to make sure that in the buying and selling in the marketplace, she's getting her money's worth because in the back of her mind, or maybe we should say in the forefront of her mind, as she's thinking in the back of her mind about buying and selling, at the forefront of her mind is the idea that I want to make the best purchase because I want to make sure that my family is cared for in an optimum way. See? It's interesting, too, that that particular word considers, she considers a field and buys it. Look at Proverbs 30, verse 32. It's the same word. And it's an interesting context there. It's negative there. It says, if you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have plotted evil, put your hand on your mouth. The word plotted there is the same word. There, it's, it's of course, in a negative context. Here, in a very positive one, it means that she's careful. She's plotting in the good sense. She's making a strategic decision. She wants to do everything that she can to ensure that she's doing right by herself and by her family. And after she carefully and strategically buys a field, the Bible says that she takes her earnings and she plants a vineyard. And beloved, there, there's no getting around the concept that this woman is industrious and that she's involved in making financial transactions with others in order to bring earnings into the home. That's what it says. There's no way around that. So how do we understand that? Because this is the obvious sense of the text. I don't believe it's a contradiction to Titus 2, 3-5 to at all. Look in your Bibles at Titus 2. Just to set in your minds with your thumb in Proverbs 31, looking at Titus 2 and its context. This is telling wives what they're to do and the context of the church and home. Titus chapter 2, verses 3, 4, and 5. Older men are given instruction in verse 2. And now older women... Even if you might not like that phrase, that's, of course, talking about married ladies. Those who are old enough to have children. Verse 3, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women, presumably the young women who are either about to be of marriageable age, or those young women who have already entered that marriageable age, and they themselves are also beginning to have children or have young children, and so the older women are discipling the younger women, and here's what they are to disciple them to do, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, and then here's that phrase, workers at home. Kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So, according to verse five, she's to be a worker at home. But I don't see a contradiction here between Titus 2:5 and Proverbs 31:16. What I actually see is a beautiful harmony. What do I mean? Well, first of all, there's nothing to suggest that in the Proverbs 31 passage we have a woman traveling great distances in order to buy a field and buying it as though she's likened to the real estate tycoon of the 21st century. Right? You might have somebody say, look, Proverbs 31.16, if you want to have this optimum home life, if you want to be able to have the money that you need to have your family do well, maybe even prosper, have security, woman, you got to get out of the house you got to get out of all those domestic duties and you got to get out there and you got to be like this real estate tycoon in the 21st century sense and you got to work hard and you may have to get on the planes and you may have to do the kinds of transportation. You've got to be able to look at all of the fields. You've got to consider carefully, strategize, plan, make sure you do everything you can to bring the kinds of things back home that would be pleasing to your husband, to your family. And we're talking about as though this woman is just just like the main breadwinner of the family. And I think if someone believes that, they're reading a whole lot more into this text than they should. Because it doesn't say anything like that. Presumably, because of the context historically of what women were and how they were perceived in that society, it doesn't seem at all like he's saying, go to these far distances, and travel to faraway places in a real estate tycoon context in order to buy a field because you've carefully strategized all of the real estate in your own area. I don't think that's really what it has to do at all. I think historically that would do violence to this text. I don't think it's talking about bringing in thousands and thousands of dollars, we might say, into our home, just like you were the main breadwinner of the family or that you were like what we call today instead of silks, that's single income, lots of kids, dinks, double income, no kids. I don't think that we can read all of that stuff back in here. I think rather it is a simple statement that a wife is assisting her husband with the opportunity to purchase a field so that she can then plant a vineyard from the earnings of that Soul field. She takes a vineyard up, and presumably it would be somewhere near her home, right? That only makes sense. Maybe it's right beside the homestead. Maybe it's just a little ways off. Now, don't make her some kind of entrepreneurial genie giant, as though she's all over the place. Going to and fro, seeking where she can do business as though she's got the women's business suit on and she's getting on the planes and she's traveling all over creation because this is just the enterprising way of the Proverbs 31 women. Don't stretch the verse beyond its intended borders. Proverbs 31.16, I think, is a verse that's simply speaking of shrewd dealings with someone, whoever it may be, and through the attitude of what I've called being financially competitive so that she can bring a greater return on her investment. That's that's really all that it's saying. And in fact, I think it beautifully harmonizes with Titus too. You say, how? Because what is this woman doing? She's buying a field, and with the earnings, she's planting a vineyard, And when she has the grapes from that vineyard, when she has the wine from that vineyard, when she has what she needs and with what she's doing, we've already learned that she's industrious. We already learned that she works delightfully with her hands. What's she doing? She's wonderfully working for her home. That's what she's doing. She's wonderfully working in the context of doing that which will make her home profitable to her, wife, to her husband, to her children, and to all of those who need her. There's no contradiction here. In fact, it's a, it's a harmony. She's just doing that which is consistent with being what it means to be a worker at home. She has the financial. She has the material wherewithal to purchase a vineyard. At the end of the verse, it says from her earnings, she plants a vineyard. The ESV has it this way, with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She's still working with her hands. Verse 13, verse 24, she takes what she's earned, she works with her hands, she purchases a field so that she can supply the physical needs of her household. I think that's exactly what's going on in Titus 2.5. What else could a worker at home mean? I think this is the picture of the financially competitive wife of Proverbs 31. She's a wonderful description of one of the most important aspects of the Titus 2 woman. She's working for her home. Someone say, says, yes, but Titus 2.5 says she's working at home. Workers at home. Look, don't take this and put it in the context of what you and I understand a home to be. Four walls and a roof. Right? Don't make it so inflexible here that we're not giving an individual family with individual needs and with individual situations what they need to be able to make the right decision for their home and for their situation. Okay? Now, this is controversial. I recognize that. A lot of people that choke on, on these ideas. We'll thrust them out, they choke on that. Keep them in as though they're under lock and key. Don't be inflexible with with either extreme here. Try to understand what's going on. They're giving general statements because even in the Titus 2.5 context, what does it mean to be a worker at home? What does that mean? Can a woman be enterprising at home? Maybe. In our 21st century context, we could say that a woman could be even more enterprising, maybe even far more than this industrious lady of Proverbs 31, because of the kinds of things that we can generate by way of income in the home today that they may not have been able to do back then, right? Of course. I mean, these are principles that we can apply to our lives without having to say rigidly, you can't work outside the home. Titus 2.5. And then someone's going to inevitably bring up, what about Proverbs 31:16? She eyes a field and buys it. She considers it. She carefully plans. She strategizes. And she has earnings. And then somebody is going to say, well, I just throw up my hands and say it's a contradiction. No. not a contradiction. Both of them in their context are workers at home and workers around the home and workers for the home. Don't make it say more or less than what it says. The godly wife of Proverbs 31 is a fantastic worker at home via Titus Two, precisely because she carefully and strategically purchases a field, she supervises the cultivation of the vineyard so as to produce what is needed in the home. But don't press it beyond propriety, beyond its original intention. Don't make this the woman of the 21st century who's a real estate tycoon, who's so financially competitive that she's rarely at home and who attempts to make money at the expense of other things which Titus 2 speaks of, including her responsibility to take care of her children and that my friend is where violations come you say well where's the extreme where would it become something that is less than the biblical idea when you have somebody in a Titus 2 3 to 5 context and she's called upon to take care of her children she's called upon to take care of her husband and she begins to do that and then she works outside the home is that okay the bible doesn't say much beyond that so would she might she have the freedom to do that ask her husband They work together. They're going to pray together. They're going to try to determine how to do that. If she can fulfill her responsibilities in the home, if she is one of those for whom pastors and husbands and leaders and counselors and guides believe that she is able successfully and she is to take care of her husband and her children in the home, and this is a way for prosperity to occur, whether she does it from the home or outside the home, in some limited context and in some limited ways that is acceptable to her husband and to the counselors and pastors and guides for whom they seek that counsel and that guidance, then who is it up to? The husband, the wife, and the home. Is that a sin? Somebody's gonna say, oh yes, if she works outside the home, it's a sin. Where, where, where does it say that? You say, well, I mean, if you're not careful, I mean, she's going to get out the home, and, and then you're not going to have all the priorities set in terms of take care of the children, take care of the husband, uh, the home, uh, the cleaning of the home, the taking care of the home. All of those things are going to fall by the wayside. They could. They could. They certainly could. But who's to say? The Lord, through the wisdom of the people in that home and through the wisdom of the people that they seek guidance from, They're going to be able to help determine and it may be that at some context and in some ways there is Excessiveness with those who are going outside the home. Maybe there are slip ups, slip ups at home. M- maybe the kids aren't being cared for in the right and best way. And, and and maybe someone is going to emphasize money to an inordinate degree. And maybe it's going to slip into this sort of a double income lifestyle. And maybe there are some things for which somebody says, "Yeah, but I don't want to give that up." And you know, we what? We've got to go on vacation. We've got to use this money. And we've got to do this. And we've got to buy this. And all of these necessities. Oh, and by the way, if I'm really going to be a Proverbs 31 woman in the home. I'm going to have to make sure that I get that, uh, that electric equipment. I'm, I'm going to have to make sure that I have this. And oh yes, and I've got to have... Yes, we've got to have at least two micro- uh, microwaves in the house. And 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 by the way, we've got to have an iron over here, and we have to have an, uh, several ironing boards in this room as well. And, and, and by the way, we've got to have all of this, and it's going to take so much money and so much effort, and you don't make enough, and I will. And then all of a sudden, we get in the rat trap of trying to have too many niceties, too many material goods, and we're not satisfied with all of the things that we should be satisfied with. And maybe it's a lot... Easier work in one sense, but maybe it's it's not all of the easy work that we're supposed to do. Maybe we're actually supposed to do some hard work in some context, and maybe we're not supposed to have all of the things that we could be provided for electronically, mechanically in this life, and so we have to be careful. And at this point, I know you're saying, I'm totally confused. Well, that's okay. That's all right. Because as an individual... As an individual wife and as an individual husband and as an individual family, you've got to be able to make some of those decisions on your own. And if you need help and counsel and wisdom and guidance, please come, please talk. And if there's a context of conflict even in the home where the husband says, but I want you to be able to have the flexibility of being able to go outside the home and to be able to earn some of this income, in other words, they're, they're sort of overbalancing the Proverbs thirty one sixteen that you're going to consider a field and you're going to go out and buy it, and yes, that gives me all kinds of hope that we're going to get out of our financial mess, and so I want you to do that, and by the way, I think you're going, to, you're, you're going to be a great mom, even if you're not here all the time, and even if you're not able to do all the things that you once did, and I think that's okay. There's a trap there, is there not? There's a trap there. Be careful. But if you decide to do that... Get some wisdom. Get some counselors. Get some people in your life to say, "Is this good?" Maybe sometimes that husband is pushing you to do something you'd rather not do, and you've talked to him. You've talked to him kindly, and you've said, "You know, I'm not sure about this. I I, I really be I really want to be a worker in the home, in the sense that I really don't want to go outside the home." I, I sort of don't want to face all that out there. And I don't want to be this, this financially competitive type person. And, and I really love the home. And I, I love my kids. And I want to stay here. And I want to be here all the time. And I just love this. And I just love my ministry at the church. And, 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 and you're sort of pushing me out to do that. And I'm not real comfortable with that. Grab some counsel there. Husband, don't push too hard. Don't push too far. Don't push too much. Or how about the husband who just says, Boy, I just sort of really want you at home. And, 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 and I, I know we're financially strapped, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to do all that I can do. And I, I picked up some some added income over here, and I really want to do that. But, boy, I want you to I want you to stay at home. And maybe the wife's saying, "I want to get out there. I, I boy, I, I want to get out there. I want to help our family." And maybe there's a sense in which she's saying, "You know, I'm not as domestic as I once thought I was," and maybe I want to get out there. And maybe I want to find out sort of, uh, you know, how to get more income in. It's going to help. It's going to allow me to be all that I can be. And, and maybe it's going to give me the opportunity to, to fulfill all the gifts and all the abilities and all the talents that the Lord has given me. And maybe the husband's saying, boy, I'm just, I'm not comfortable with that. And believe you me, there might be a husband out there who's saying, look, I'm not sure I want you to go out there so that you'll be tempted beyond what you're able if that were possible, so that you get out there in the marketplace and in the business world and you've got other fellows out there who's going to, you know, the temptations and, and I'm not sure I want you in an environment where, you know, guys are going to try to talk to you and, 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 and maybe some of them, even if they see a ring on your finger, are still going try to try to talk with you. And, 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 you know, if you're not careful, you know, maybe she'll just stay at home and, and maybe she doesn't want to. So what's the answer there? Much counsel. Much counsel. And ultimately, yes, the Bible teaches that if she wants to and he's reluctant or says no, what should she do? That's clear guidance. Clear guidance. If he says no, what's the answer? No. Now, he needs to be sensitive, needs to hear her, needs to listen very carefully. You've got all kinds of pitfalls, you've got all kinds of issues. But you don't just have this dogmatic, or in some cases, even with some, some bulldogmatic idea that says, no, not this, not now, not ever. Got to be careful. Or this should never happen. A woman should never, or this should always be careful. Be very careful. The balance of work and home is left to the, up, up to the individual families. Who read these verses and they harmonize, not conflict, through prayer, careful scrutiny, applying these verses to their own situations in order to fulfill all the priorities which God has commanded us to live out. Ladies, let me ask you. If you thought you had some level of flexibility, because you really honestly believe that you are taking care of the home front and your husband agrees and you are working tirelessly, and you are serving, and you have found out a way either in the physical confines of the four walls and the roof that you live under, or possibly in some kind of context where you're able to go and you can perceive a sale and you can Grab that sail and you can come back and bring something into your home. To say nothing, by the way, of single mothers, to say nothing of widowed ladies, to say nothing of individual situations that don't fit so neatly in all of these verses, right? Because assuredly, once you teach this, somebody's going to come along and say, yeah, but what would you say in my situation where... And you've got all kinds of different situations, different circumstances, different responses, and therefore different counsel. So see, everything's just not in some neat little box that we can just tie a bow around. But here's what we are to say. Principle now, are you, as a wife, inside the home or maybe working in some contexts outside the home while the home front is being taken care of? You know what I mean by that? Are you financially competitive? In other words, are you looking for the best buy? Are you looking to be a good steward and a good manager of your home? That's the point. That's the real point. The point is, are you the kind of manager? Glory to God for those ladies who are saying something like this. And years ago, my wife and I had an agreement. And I think we've talked about it maybe once since then for me to affirm her. When we first got married, I said, look, here's what I want you to do. Here's the one principle that I'll give you for the rest of our marriage. And unless it becomes a problem, unless it becomes an issue, And I need to say it again, I'll never be talking about this again. And here it is. When you go out to purchase something, ask yourself three questions. Is it a need? If you can answer that question, then ask yourself a second question. Is it a desperate need? And if you can answer that question, ask yourself, is it a desperate need at this time? And if it is, buy it. Because guess what, guys? We trust them. Don't you trust them? Aren't you working on that trust? Don't, don't, don't you want them to be trustworthy? Well, if you're aspiring as a woman to be a Proverbs 31 kind of woman, aren't you aspiring to be trustworthy in that sense? So that your husband trusts, his heart trusts in her? Proverbs 31. I said it to her one time. And one time I brought it up to thank her for being that way. Otherwise, in 24 years, I've never said a word. Never questioned one purchase. Why? Because I trust her. In fact, it's probably reverse. Are you buying yet more books? (laughs) You know, and I I always quote the Erasmus line. I don't quote him a lot because I didn't like him, but he had one thing that he said it was great. And here's what he said. If you have money, buy books. If you have anything left over, buy food and clothing. (laughs) That's a good man. That is a good man. And here's what my wife does. Just to give you an example. She buys what she thinks is a need and she buys what she believes is a desperate need and she buys it when she believes it's a desperate need at this time. What a woman. What a purchaser. You know what? That's the living out of Proverbs 31:16. She considers a field, she buys it, and then she does something with it. She doesn't live in profligacy, she doesn't take the money and do dumb things with it. She takes the money, she puts it back in the resources of the home. And you know what? If she decides to splurge a little bit with some of the money when you trust her for all of the vast bulk of the rest of it, don't worry about it. Guys, can we just talk frankly here? Can, can I get on my soapbox, which is delicately balanced on my hobby horse? Can I do that for just one second? Guys, we're, 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 just, we're just talking among each other, right? That's it, Guys, Look, I've noticed something. Now, this isn't in the Bible. You might have to edit this at the end. This isn't in the Bible, but I've noticed something, and I think it causes conflict in the home. The conflict that I often see in the home is that some of us, thinking as husbands, that we are being good to them and that we are counseling them and guiding them and leading them, in right ways, and you know what they might think in their most vulnerable hours? He's controlling. He's manipulative and controlling, and he asks me about every purchase, and he's constantly looking at the bank account, and he's constantly asking, What did you buy that for? Well, what happened to uh, that? Uh, guys, I've even seen this, frankly, honestly, in situations where it relates to the way that your wife wants to look in her dress and with her makeup, just how she wants to carry herself. And of course there are extremes. And of course somebody can spend money to the extreme to make yourself be what you really aren't. Right? Let's just face it. I mean, underneath all of the stuff that you wear is who you really are. But when you go out from your home and you want to look differently, that's okay. But men... Don't control the whole thing. Trust them. Live with them in an understanding way. If they want to put on this makeup or that makeup, just let them do it. What's the big deal? I mean, I know some guys who say, I don't want you wearing makeup. Don't, I just, I, you know. And then they give some cockamamie idea. Oh, just the beauty that God has created you in already. Please. How many women would say, oh, you're so right. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I'm just so gorgeous. Just naturally. I don't need any makeup whatsoever. And I need to wear tattered clothing. Forget it. Just say to yourself, fella, relax. Just relax. And by all means, when she says, how do I look? Don't blow it. Right? You, you look fantastic. Well, can I, can I get some more makeup? Can, can I do this? Can I, can I buy that? Of course, you can. And you know what? If you and I have to work harder to do it, so be it. So be it. Come on. We're talking about living with them in such a way that they want, believe, think that we want to be around them. Right? And so let up, let them live. Look. Let the women do what they want to do. If they're not sinning, then back off. If they ask your opinion, give it, right? But if they don't, just let them be who they want to be. Don't make it a big issue. Half the conflicts could be avoided in our homes if we just say, you just do what you want to, have fun, have great ideas, pursue them all. I mean, my wife is constantly saying, hey, look, I'm going to have a pampered chef party. I'm going to have a garage sale. And we're going to do this, and I need you to get a truck, and I need you to move this over here, and you know, and I just just do what she tells me to do. <laughs> because in the final analysis, it's not worth it, <laughs> right? Guys, you know, you know what I'm saying, guys. You know what I'm saying. And so, in this context, Proverbs 31 said, "Now I'm back. I'm off the hobby horse, which had the soapbox on top of it. I'm off that." Now, Proverbs 31:16, And you know, how many times do I ever do this, right? I, I depart from a text and give you this stuff. Now, you may like that, but nothing I just said. And there's probably 14 guys who are going to talk to me after the service, right? So if you do that, guys, you probably ought to call me, text me, because everybody's going to see who you are when you come down here to the front. Right? Don't get caught. Everyone's going to watch me at the end of the service. I'm saying, lighten up. You know what? There's so many issues and problems and difficulties and trials and tests in this life for you and your spouse not to get hung up on the stuff that's indifferent. You know what I mean by indifferent? It's the Greek word adiaphora. And it's in that Romans 14 and 15 context. The stuff that's not right. Wrong, black, white, and we're talking about stuff in the middle, the gray. Don't sweat the gray stuff. Right? Just have fun. I mean, I'm 50 years old now, and I'm coming to the place where I'm saying to myself, Lance, when you were younger, you were sweating all the little stuff. Why? All the energy, all the discussion, all the dialogue, and what did it get you? Usually a disagreement. Usually a conflict. Don't sweat the small stuff. It's a diaphora. It's things indifferent. And I'm talking to the guys specifically because we are the leaders and we are the ones who are saying, I want you to do this, I don't want you to do that. And in some cases, if you think somebody's crossed the line, whether it's your spouse or your kids or somebody else, of course, of course you talk. Of course you reason. But in the grand scheme of things, in the final analysis, with all the trouble and tests and trials and difficulties and vicissitudes of life, don't sweat the ideophora, the things indifferent, the gray. Don't sweat it. And guys, let the ladies do what they want to do. And when you let them do it, oh, so many blessings come. So many blessings come. Right? You might find out that you have become the leader that you need to be for her and she's happy about it and she is your greatest defender. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you like that? Proverbs 31.16 Do all that you can to support her knowing that she's a worker at home even if it's outside the bounds of particular contexts. She wants to do things in an op- optimum way. Let her do it. Secondly, secondly, she is courageously strong. Verse 17. Verse 17. Now, I will not go as long, I promise, with these two points. Look at verse 17. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Oh, I love this. I love this. The ESV says it. she dresses herself with strength. Now, you say, is that literal or metaphorical, figurative? Well, that's hard to say. If this is more of a literal rendering of the physical dimensions of her life. It would signal her strength in the difficult task, probably, in many ways, what was just discussed in the previous verse. She what? She considers a field, she buys it, and then she plants a vineyard. What's she doing? She's working with her hands. She's planting a vineyard. And isn't that difficult in Palestine? Wouldn't that be difficult? What do you have in Palestine? Rocks. Right. You got a field. It looks good. You buy it. And then when you start cultivating the ground, you find out a lot of rocks here. A lot of rocks. Got to get rid of a lot of rocks. You say, does she do it? Yes. You say, how? If this is literal, this is literal. Notice what it says. She girds herself with strength. That that particular word girds, girds herself. If it's literal, that's what it means. Then. She's taking this dress that she has on and the undergarments and she's pulling them up and she's tying them around with a belt because she's girding her loins. Literal, that's literal rendering of the phrase. She's girding her loins so that she can bend down and still have propriety with her dress and she's working in the field. And she's probably having help. Of course she is. But none of these ladies, none of these noble ladies, including the lady of Proverbs 31 including others that you read about in the Old Testament, are so above manual labor. And so we assume that if it says she's girding herself with strength, and it's literal that she's girding herself for the work of working in the vineyard. It's pretty easy. And it says, and she makes her arms what? Strong. Now, for a little bit of a, a sense of that, look at Isaiah 5. If this is, if this is a literal rendering... Notice at least just with a couple of verses how hard this might be. Isaiah 5.1. Now this is talking in a completely different context as we know, but at least it's giving us some level of understanding about the hard physical labor of starting a vineyard. Isaiah 5.1. Let me sing now for my beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. That would be important. He dug it all around, that's work, removed its stones, that's more work, and planted it with the choicest vine, and he built a tower in the middle of it, that would have been important too, and he also hewed out a wine vat in it. And he expected it, to produce good grapes. And if you want good grapes, it's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take all the work and physical exertion that you have within you. And you're going to have workers. And she had maidens. We already know that. And they probably even had young men, maybe sons, maybe other workers, who were the ones who were picking up all the heaviest rocks, to be sure. Yes, I admit all of that. But if it's literally being rendered here, she girds herself with strength. The concept was she's not going to be able to work without much difficulty. Now, does it mean literally she girds herself with strength? It could. Or it could mean, metaphorically, she is girded with strength by the Lord to do her household chores. Look at 1 Peter 1.13. In 1 Peter 113, the Bible uses this same language in fact, if you have a Bible that has an alternate translation in 1 Peter 1.13, may even be in Proverbs 31.17, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And if you have an alternate translation, it says something like this, Prepare or gird the loins of your minds for action. In other words, it's talking about what they would know very well in the physical dimension, the girding of loins. Even warriors girded their loins. Men who were in battle, because remember back then, even men wore long flowing robes, right, because of the propriety of the time. And so girding your minds, the loins of your minds for action, was a metaphor for doing with the belt that you would do physically for your mind. Tie up your mind with a strong belt. Gird it for action, spiritually speaking. So maybe it means that she's actually being girded in her mind with strength, strength from the Lord, and her arms are strong spiritually speaking, and that's why I say she is courageously strong. Remember the first characteristic in the very first verse, verse 10? An excellent wife, a valiant wife, a courageous wife, who can find? She's courageous. She's strong. And maybe it's strong literally. Now, this isn't talking about female bodybuilding, not talking about that. See, again, we we sort of press our 21st century ideas right into this thing, and oh, she's going to the gym, she's working out so she can look good for her man. It's not what it's talking about. And even metaphorically, if it's talking about that instead of the literal rendering, she's Girding her loins, the loins of her mind, for action, for spiritual service, even in the physical work. In other words, she's working hard with her hands and her attitude is good. Her attitude is good. She's serving the Lord, even when it's tough, even when it's hard, even when there are events and circumstances in the home that are difficult. She's girding the the loins of her mind for action. Ladies, are you courageously strong? I'm telling you. I admit it. Here's confession time. Number one, I know you know this, but I don't want to be a woman. Number two, I'll tell you the reason why I don't want to be a woman. It's too hard. It's too hard. I like being a man because it's easier being a man. You say, oh, and all that leadership and all that. And I said that before, and that's true. But when I see all that my wife does, I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. You do that. Right? Right? Let me do what I do, you do what you do, and we'll all get along fine. You know why? Because I believe they have the harder task. They just have the harder task. Which means that we ought to be more respectful, more loving, more kind. And this is where the conviction comes, guys. To be able to do what we need to do for our wives, to appreciate them in such a way that we are saying, wow, you are courageously strong. You, you I'm telling you, honey, the... The the girding of the loins of your mind is something to behold. (laughs) I'm telling you, I love you. You are strong. You are courageous. Hey, it's okay to talk to a lady, that is your wife, your daughters, ladies in your life, your sister, your mother, your grandmother, and to say they're strong. That's, that's, That's not inappropriate. That's not damaging their femininity at all. Because to appreciate them is to appreciate the job they have, the role they fulfill, and to tell them and let them know, and let them know often, you are one strong woman. You go, girl. You you just do what you do, and God will bless you, and I will call you blessed. Doesn't it even say at the end of this, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. He praises her. Ask the Lord for spiritual strength. I know you're going through a difficult time. I know it's hard. Look, I've watched a woman. I mean, I was just thinking of this the other day. My wife and I have talked about this. She, has, she, she had eight children, we had, she had 10 pregnancies in 12 years, a couple of miscarriages in there. I mean, think about that. Think about I mean, what was I thinking? What was I doing? I mean, she obviously has to be strong. I mean, all the breastfeeding, all the diaper rendering, all of that. I mean, there was a time in which she did all that and we all added it up and the cumulative effect was like she was breastfeeding for like three years. Cumulatively. And changing like like 8,000 diapers. I mean, my word. You've got to be strong to do that. Courageous. Caring. Totally committed to your family. Totally. Are you... Strong in whatever context. You may not have the eight babies. You may have one. And you may say, that's enough. That's that's all I need. i got my hands full. Well, are you courageously strong in the ones that God has given you? Are you courageously courageously strong in the family that you have? doesn't matter how many, whom, where, what, why, and how. What matters is you are strong. It's a great characteristic. And here's the last one. She is perceptively aggressive. Verse 18. Verse 18. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. I say here perceptively aggressive because the word translated in the NASV as senses. She senses that her gain is good. And in the ESV as perceives. She perceives, even the ESV, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. In other words, she's doing her family good. Beneficially good. Blessing to all whom she's working and supplying their needs. She's perceptively aggressive. You know, you talk about a strong woman who's aggressive in the home to protect her babies. Now that's a strong, aggressive, perceptive, courageous woman. Don't mess with those babies. I'm telling you. I mean, I've seen that ferocious protection. And I'm saying, there's something in that heart that I don't know a lot about. I mean, I guess it's the idea of the fact that I carried this little one for nine months, and I birthed this little one, and I fed this little one, and I'm raising this little one, and don't you dare mess with this little one. I mean, there's a heart and a bond that is unshakable. And that's why that's why the disappointment is so great when a little one like that leaves home and does not honor their mother and does not walk the walk of Christ, right? That's why the pain is so deep because you birthed that child and you raised that child and you sent that child off into that dirty, dark world and you expect God to protect that child and you want God to do that because you put so much time and effort. I'll tell you, that is being perceptively aggressive because you perceive that what you're doing is good to your household. And you want a return on that investment. You want the good to be repaid, not in some kind of manipulative way, not some kind of quid pro quo where you're saying, God, I did this and you've got to do this, but you're just laying your heart out before the Lord and you're saying, Lord, I I perceive that in my aggressiveness to protect and to spiritually nurture this child, I want you on the return of that investment to be blessing this family with all good things. Now, that's a woman. That's a great woman. She's doing all that she can to take care of her peeps. She wants to. She loves them. She's committed to them. She's perceiving all the family finances and beneficiality runs amok in that house because she's totally committed to the home, totally committed to her people. Look at that last phrase her lamp does not go out or does not go out at night. What's that mean? Well, it's interesting. I said a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the fact that in verse 15 she rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household. And then it says here in verse 18 at the end of it that her lamp does not go out at night. And that gives the impression, of course, that you're talking about a woman who never sleeps. And that is the portion of some of you or so it seems, right? Right. And that may be what it means. It may be that it's simply talking about the literal idea that she's working late into the night. And there are many commentators. Many people believe that that's what it means. But here's an interesting idea. There are some who say, I'm not sure that that's what it means. In fact, I've got some other verses that show that maybe it's not talking about sleeplessness, but security. You say, what kind of security? Well, if you're doing all these beneficial things to your family... Maybe this is the answer to the prayer that you prayed because the Lord will allow you to be prosperous and He will allow you to be safe and that He will secure you with His protective arm because you've done all of these things. You say, how so? Well, maybe that little phrase, her lamp does not go out, is equated with the idea of the lamp being the lamp of blessing, the lamp of security, the lamp of safety. In other words, not a literal rendering. She's not turning out the lamp at night because she's got more work to do, but she is under the lamp of God's blessing, the light of God's blessing, as it were. You say, show me that. Look in Job as we close. Job 18. You know what it means when a pastor says, as we close? Absolutely nothing. Job 18. Job 18. Look at verse 5. Show you some negative context about this idea of the lamp. This would be the lamp of wickedness, the lamp of evil. Job 18, verse 5. Indeed, the light of the wicked goes out. Notice that. The light of the wicked goes out, and the flame of his fire gives no light. Verse 6. The light in his tent is darkened, and his lamp goes out above him. In other words, he's going to be judged. In other words, God's going to snuff out his light. He's going to put out his lamp. He's he's going to be judged. He's going to be... He's going to be judged. And some of them, of course, if they're wicked, eternally. Look at Jeremiah chapter 25. You can just jot some of these down even if you're not turning there. Jeremiah 25 verse 10. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. In other words, I'm going to bring judgment and I'm going to take away all the things that you really enjoy, the joys of life, And then he says, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. You see? In other words, if this Proverbs 31 woman's lamp does not go out, it means the Lord is sustaining it so that she can receive a perpetual blessing. Security. Safety. In other words, I'm working for you, Lord. I'm doing all of this in the home. And I need you to come through for me. And the Lord says, and your lamp will not go out. Look at Proverbs 13.9. Even in the context... Of the Proverbs itself, it talks about this lamp. Proverbs 13:9. This is what it says. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked, what? Goes out. You see? It's not talking literally there. It's talking metaphorically. Proverbs 20, verse 20. This may substantiate it for us. I'm not sure, but this may be the correct interpretation. He who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in time of darkness. You see, it's almost that metaphor for the idea that if you're a wicked person, ultimately you're going to be judged and your lamp's going out. You see, it's God's way of saying, huh, I'm going to show you a metaphor that if you're living your life and you've got this lamp over here in the corner and then that lamp goes out and you're walking around in the darkness and you're stumbling and bumbling your way through the room, guess what? That's what's going to happen spiritually if you're a wicked person. Your lamp's going to go out. You're going to be judged. Look at chapter 24, verse 20. And even though this is a different author from this portion of Proverbs, from Proverbs 31, maybe it's the same kind of idea. Proverbs 24:20. For there will be no future for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. You see, you want blessing in your home. And if she does her husband good all the days of his life, and if she's doing her family good, she's taking care of her children, then maybe this is an implicit, wonderful honoring of what she's attempted to do when the Lord says, and your lamp won't go out. You'll be blessed. Oh, I ask you the question. Are you this kind of perceptively aggressive woman who's doing everything she can to take care of her family? You say, that's an interesting way of putting it, perceptively aggressive. Do you know that there are a lot of women, I hope none of you, that are sitting around on the couch eating bonbons, watching soaps. You, you, You do understand that, right? And they got a family, and they're supposed to be taking care of them. And they're supposed to be doing the right things. And they don't do the right things. And all of us could get caught up in that stuff, right? Because it's the stuff of the world. And maybe we get our priorities all mixed up. And maybe when I'm supposed to be doing the work, I'm not doing the work. And when I'm supposed to be taking care of my family, I'm not taking care of my family. And when I'm supposed to be serving my husband, I'm not serving my husband. I got my priorities all out of whack. And maybe in such a characteristic way that I'm really a wicked person, even if I profess to be a Christian And if I do that over the life long of my family and all its needs and I forsake them, maybe your lamp's going to go out. See, that's the point. Your lamp's going to go out. It's a sign of judgment. So, you say, Lord, don't let my lamp go out. And that's that motivation that I don't want judgment. I want blessing. Lord, bless me. I'm going to take care of my family then. And you know what that does? It motivates you to get up out of that bed. And it motivates you to make that meal when you don't want to make it. And it motivates you to be that kind of woman when you don't want to be that kind of woman. And it makes you want to submit when you don't want to submit. And it makes you want to do all the things that you want to do because you know that God is watching because you want not that your lamp would go out. You see? Be perceptively aggressive. Young ladies, look at your moms. And for everything that you can follow them in that's right and righteous imprint that on your mind forever. Watch them. Look at their example. See every tireless moment. See every every courageously strong action. Look at all of the delightful things that she does with the fruit of her hands and say, I want to be like that. I want to do that. I want to be that kind of woman. And on on those days when you are not wanting to be that kind of woman, Confess it to the Lord and say, Lord, get those attitudes right out of my life. Lord, don't let me be that kind of woman because I could be that kind of woman, the woman of folly in the book of Proverbs, the woman who tears her house down and in the midst of tearing her house down, her lamp goes out. Oh, these are, these are great principles from the Word of God. Let's study some more next time, shall we? Let's pray together. Lord, thank You that this Proverbs 30 woman, 31 woman is so excellently valiant So exceedingly valuable, so wholeheartedly trustworthy, wonderfully thrifty, perpetually helpful, delightfully industrious, creatively domestic, tirelessly serving, financially competitive, courageously strong, perceptively aggressive. And Lord, at this point, we say, Who can do all of these things? Who's prepared to do all of these things? Who can match these things? Lord, let no woman leave this place with saying to herself about herself, I can't do it. I won't even try. This is, this is too much for me. I give up. Lord, give them resolve. Give them hope. Give them help. Give them the Spirit of Yourself, the living God. Empower them. Infuse them with grace and mercy and strength so that they are courageously strong. So that they are perceptively aggressive. And give them hope. And if we say, who is sufficient for these things? Our obvious answer is no one, Lord. No one. And that's why I want to fall upon the mercy of Jesus Christ, the only One who walked this earth, who did everything perfectly. Because I can't. And because I've sinned. And because I've fallen so far short of the standard with which You have put before me that I've tried and I've failed. And I've failed miserably. And I've failed even in the characteristic quality of my life. I haven't done it. I don't do it. Help me. I, I pray, Lord. You need Christ. Ask God the Father. For the Son, your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask Him to come into your life. Ask Him to be the kind of person that speaks of a Proverbs 31 woman. Ask Him to be the kind of man that supports such a woman. Fall on your face in repentance and faith, turning from your sin, asking Jesus for forgiveness, acknowledging your failures. And saying, you're the only perfect person who ever walked this earth. You're the Savior who died on that cross for me, a sinner. And I ask you to save me and save me now. And I know you will. You've promised you will. And for some of you who are here today and you've said, I've done that a long time ago, but I, even in my Christianity, have failed and I've kicked against the goads and I've said I will not be this kind of woman or I can't be and I've given up in frustration, you confess to the Lord and say, Lord, could You receive me back just one more time with a heart that says I want to start anew. Could I, could I start tomorrow again, Lord? Could I start this afternoon? Can I do what You've asked me to do and can I do it in the power of Your Spirit now? Oh, Lord, in whatever situation, in whatever case, and even with these single moms, and even with these single ladies, Give them encouragement. Give them hope. Help them. Don't put on them, Lord, anything for which they say it's more than I can bear. Give them Your Spirit so that even in their singleness, even in their raising of their own children as a single woman in their own home and they don't have the help and support the leadership of a man, help them through whatever means and by whatever task You give them so that they may obey You, giving glory to You as You help them. Lord, may it be so. Bless us. Give us grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.